This is the story about... I want to do it too. Okay, one, two. This is Precious Lives. Stories about kids. Teens. Guns. Guns. Yeah, we end the violence. Bye-bye. Because, because we are precious. Because we are precious. This is Precious Lives. Two years ago, Precious Lies set out to tell 100 stories about gun violence in young people in Milwaukee. We're now on episode 93, only seven episodes to go. We've asked hundreds of questions, and as the series comes to an end, our reporters have been fielding questions of their own. What have they learned? How has covering gun violence affected them emotionally? What stuck out to them that they haven't had a chance to share yet? Emily Foreman and Aisha Turner produced a radio series. And Ashley Lutheran writes Precious Lives companion pieces for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. They sat down for a discussion to bring listeners behind the scenes of this project. Let me hear you, Aisha. <clears throat> this like is Aisha so- Turner, producer of Precious Lives. I could also go closer to the microphone if I need to. Sounds good. Okay. And I'm Emily Foreman, senior producer of Precious Lives. And we're here with Ashley Lutheran from the Journal Sentinel. Ashley, do you want to say what you do? At a very at a very basic level, my job for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel is to cover public safety. So how should we start? I think it's worth starting with acknowledging that this is kind of a weird conversation to have as journalists. I think we're not really used to making the conversation about us. But, you know, the conversation around gun violence requires a lot of emotional honesty. And we ask that of people every week. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So this week we are going to be vulnerable um, we've gotten a lot of questions about what this experience has been like for us, and we think it's important to share. Yeah. You want to start? To, to be honest, I think that, um, you know, when I pitch the project to someone that I'm interested in talking to and you say gun violence, it does put a shade and a narrowness on the conversation. Mm-hmm. and. From that point on, it's a challenge for me to then then broaden that out. You're missing all of this other stuff that defines community. So I think with every story, it's about closing that gap, getting starting with gun violence and getting to how this incident, um, what is the broader context for it in a community sense. I also think you're getting at some of the exasperation that people feel around like this being the the topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I bring up like I want to talk to you about this and you know how it relates to this issue of like gun violence and people are like ugh <laughs> like okay <laughs> like this thing again um, because it, it can sometimes come across as like you're missing the deeper point, right? Because it's a symptom of other things going right. on. <laughs> I think it's. Uh, I think there's definitely fatigue in mm-hmm. some places, and with some people who are asked, you know, to share their story or ask their thoughts, or they probably feel like, oh, reporters are just going to dip in and report on this crime that happened, and then dip out and follow the case, and that's it. And I think we're fortunate because. You know, we have projects, not just Precious Lives, but other projects, other media outlets in the city doing really good work trying to get at those deeper issues. But absolutely, people are fatigued. I think personally, we've all talked about the need to disconnect and not keep talking about this, um, you know, when we go home or when, we, you know, but it it's such a powerful topic that it's hard not to. Yes, that gets at a, bit, at a big point. 
is the how this affects us emotionally. <laughs> um, <laughs> you have to let your guard down and you have to be upfront about who you are and why you're doing it. And you have to try to let someone's experience get through to you in a deep way. And um, so then when you go home, it's for me, it's made home a really confusing concept, honestly. Oh. Um, uh, that's a good question. Or when do it's, you notice it? it? Uh, when I when I go home to my apartment in Milwaukee, and I've just spent four hours with someone, I don't know what to do with myself, <laughs> except maybe binge watch shows to turn my brain off i mean it's it's exhausting right part of me is just impacted because it it just feels like in a way like this isn't like a race-based project but it it's so racially loaded (laughs) that it's hard to like escape uh these these ideas and that's most of where we spend our time is on the north side um and so I am kind of constantly just feeling like, what is happening to this community? And like, it just, it can feel like, like we're so broken a lot of times. And by we, I mean black people. And so that can be like a really difficult reality to confront all the time. And it's not something that I like wasn't aware of. And, you know, it's a lot of why I wanted to do this kind of work, but it's really different um, when I just, I'm confronted with feelings of like hopelessness a lot. And that's what I feel guilty about is like, who the hell am I to feel hopeless when like there's so much work to be done and there's so many people doing that work every day and like they haven't given up. So like, what am I doing feeling like this sense of despair Yeah, it's easy to feel hopeless when you're just looking at the big picture. But then you think of all the individual mentors who are having impact on teens that they work with. And you think that this is what we need more of. I mean, for me, I kind of keep coming back to this idea of um, the morning basketball league. You know, we followed a team for a whole summer. That whole league gets $30,000 each summer, and it's not enough to cover the cost of renting a county park that, by the way, doesn't have water fountains and, you know, probably could use some fresh paint and that sort of thing. And we talk about the deep connection people have with this. It's basically a whole league of mentors, you know, people trying to mentor kids, making sure they're making the right decisions, know where they are. Those are some of the solutions. I mean, you have people doing really good work for, you know, on very small budgets, and it's it's very inspiring and impressive, but you kind of wonder what they could do if they had if they had more resources. And you know, I think you know, saying this as the city is determining its budget process right now, people are talking about that. You know, we're talking about budgets for that are you know three hundred million dollars. Yeah. yeah. Right. So these are some of the things we've covered. But what about all the stuff that you know we left out, like? A lot of times I, wa- I find myself just wishing that people could be there with me because there's so much that doesn't make it in the piece, you know? Um, you know, I'm thinking of Zalea Jenkins, um, 
a nine-year-old who was shot on 15th and Meineke in the spring. And, you know, we did two stories related to her, but, you know, there's still so much that we didn't include. Mm-hmm. We talked to neighbors and we met a bunch of different people who I still think of. For one, I think of Antonio. We can play his clip. My side business is tropical fish. I breed and sell tropical fish. I build ponds and fish tanks and sell fish tanks, right? Okay. Now, I will put an ad on Craigslist. Let's just say a 125-gallon tank for $300, everything included, right? I'll get millions of people calling me up responding. But once I give them my address, I never hear from them again. Never hear from them again. And I try to explain to them, listen, I'm right off the expressway. Boom, boom, you're out of here. They hit that 53206, and I never hear from them again. This just gives you more of a context for what is down the block, who's down the block. Because after there's a shooting, there's all this attention on an area, and there's certain, there's a stigma that's placed on that area. One of the things that stood out with him was like, in some ways, he was acknowledging, yeah, there are sometimes these things that happen, but it's like a normal neighborhood also with like, barbecuing and communities just hanging out together and getting to know each other. It's not like the instant that you drive off the highway and go down (laughs) North Avenue, you're going to get shot. And I think so often because of the media representation, I think that can be all that people see is like all of the dangers and not all of these families that really love each other. And, you know, that's one of the things that I kind of wrestle with doing this work is how much in talking about gun violence, how much are we kind of contributing to that frustrating perception? It's tough because I think as journalists, we often, you know, people say, well, why are you only reporting on these really awful things that are going on? And I, you know, I kind of respond a little bit tongue in cheek. You know, we don't report about the planes that don't crash. We don't report about the banks that don't get robbed because we we want our neighborhoods and our cities to be safe places. And so when something kind of breaks through that social fabric, we pay attention. He loves his block. He's quick to acknowledge the violence on his block. But he's also pissed off. When you start to talk about violence with people, people get angry. Like I said, I've been here five years. Out of the five years, I've seen uh, four shootings, three murders within a within walking distance from me. Wow. Yep. Well, okay. Yep. Well, how does that make you feel? Because that's... Well, that makes Very me feel intense. that my taxpayers' money is going out the drain, obviously. And I think the police need to do their jobs. I think the government, the state government, need to do their job. I think Scott Walker and Chris Avery, both full of s***, racist rednecks, have, they have nothing in common with the youth, mm-hmm. nothing in common with the black youth. They don't want to know anything. They don't want to have anything to do with the youth. Mm-hmm. That's, you know. And this is coming from a Republican. Part of what I think is really powerful about that clip is that he knows who he's angry at. It's not just, you know, people need to do better. It's he's upset with his political leaders. Like, I know one of the things we've talked about is that, like, people bring up concealed carry a lot. And, I mean, I don't know that that's where he was going with that clip, but... No, but the but decisions that are made at the state level... People, people think they, these decisions affect them. We hear a lot that how people think policy decisions have created the climate that they're living in. Mm-hmm. And one is concealed carry. That's mentioned almost, that's mentioned a lot when we go out reporting in neighborhoods. Do you feel affected by gun violence? I feel affected by gun violence in this like kind of removed way. I think I've always felt like personally 
drawn to a lot of the issues that we talk about. It's hard to be black in this country and not think about not think about poverty or not have family members that have interacted with the criminal justice system in some way. But I always got to be removed from it a little bit. You feel like you have this luxury to leave. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, there's another side of like keeping my emotions or not, not really feeling like I could be sad. Mm-hmm for them or sad in the way that people I've interviewed were sad about loss Mm. because I've never experienced that type of loss directly. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like Beverly Beverly Moore made (laughs) made this point that I've always really liked and that like, you know, she's like talked about how like people are, everyone's impacted by it just in different ways. She's like, you know, it just for some people, it just changes like, you know, maybe you don't stop at a certain gas station at a certain time of night or you mm-hmm. don't stay as long to visit family. Right. And so I don't that is that always that struck me. <laughs> the how, end. Do we, how do we how do we end it? It's really endings are really hard. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what we say. We've learned that endings are really hard when you're writing a script, aren't they? Oh, tags are the worst. Endings are so yeah, because you got to wrap it all up. <laughs> yeah, and not everything wraps up in a little bow. Mm-mm. I mean, I think the biggest thing we've learned here is that like all this stuff is so messy, including conversations about what it's like to cover this beat it's all just messy but i don't know i think i think we can end it there works for me okay precious lies is coming to end soon as a media project but it will carry on as a live show we will take stories and discussions on gun violence directly into schools workplaces and other venues to keep the conversation going and Ashley Lutheran will continue in her role as a crime reporter with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. She and her media partners at Milwaukee Public Radio and WNLV want to keep hearing from you. To find out how to stay in touch, please visit our website at PreciousLivesProject.org. Precious Lives is produced by 371 Productions in association with WUWM, WNLV, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism. We're supported by the Isabel and Alfred Bader Fund and the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. Music by Kiran V.